Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to give into your kingdom. Thank you that we can play some small part in the proclamation of your gospel. Pray, Lord, that you'll just bless the seed that was sown this morning, that it will return some 50-fold, some 100-fold. And I pray, Lord, that the seed that leaves our hand will never leave our lives. In the name of Jesus. Bless this time we have together as we gather around your word. I pray, Lord, you speak to our hearts. May we walk out here challenged, changed, and let us sense your spirit and your presence in this place. I ask in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen, amen and Amen. Uh, family, we're still continuing on our series on the book of Acts. And I trust that you've all been reading uh, the book of Acts. Am I correct? Can I make that bold assumption? Come on. You're not winning me over this morning. <laughs> Have you been reading the book of Acts? Oh, this right-hand side of mine. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven you. Acts chapter 2. And we're reading from verses 40. And with many words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this generation, perverse generation. Then those who, who were there gladly received his word and were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom of God. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching. They continued in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. Just a quick recap. We've been sharing around the idea of the gospel of Jesus being the gospel of his resurrection. That he is alive and is alive today. Paul declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and said, to the church at Corinth, the believers at Corinth, he said, I declare to you the gospel in which you stand and deliver it to you. That Christ has died according to the scriptures, was buried, and on the third day rose again from the grave in fulfillment of the scriptures. He then appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, and 12 of the apostles, and then appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Thereafter appeared to James and the rest of the apostles and disciples. Bible also says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ had not been risen, our faith is futile. It's empty. Our preaching is empty. We are false witnesses and we are still in our sins. If Christ has not risen, then we as Christians and believers are the most pitiable of all men. But Christ is risen. And the gospel must be preached that he is alive. Amen. Romans 10, Paul speaking to the church and believers at Rome. He says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. We shall be 
saved. Amen. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For those who believe on him will not be put to shame as it is written. For he shows no distinction between Jew and Greek, but the Lord is rich to all who will call upon him. For those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach if they be not sent? Therefore it is written, Blessed are the feet of those who come to bring good news and glad tidings of good things. But not all has believed the gospel. So Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed your report? But the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel must be proclaimed and preached. And Paul declared in Romans 1, he says, For as much as that is in me, I must preach the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for in it is the power of God to salvation to all who will believe, first the Jew, then the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. Inherent in the gospel is the power of God. Amen. The power unto salvation. The power unto deliverance. The power for healing. This gospel must move us before it moves others. We must grow deep in order to reach wide. We shared last week that it's the heart of the Father, it's the will of God for your life and for my life that we bear fruit. That we bear fruit. Good works that glorify the Father. Jesus said in John 15, In this is the Father glorified in that you bear much fruit and then you will be my disciples. He says, I am the vine and, and you are the branches and apart from me you can do nothing. If you abide in me and if I abide in you, then you will have much fruit. We cannot bear fruit unless we are rooted, unless we are established. That's why Colossians chapter 2 says that we must be rooted and built up in Christ, established in the faith as we were taught. Established, rooted, grounded, built up, which means we are not blown by any wind of doctrine. We're not blown or moved by circumstances. We're not fair with the Christians. Amen. If it's cold outside, we come to church anyway. In fact, I might as well be tempted to come next week like El Rico. <laughs> might even come with no t-shirt on. <laughs> we carry the weather with us. Amen. Hallelujah. That was just a little rabbit trail. <laughs> This morning's message is simple. I want to share with you simple spiritual disciplines for personal revival. Spiritual disciplines for personal revival. Psalm 85 verse 6, the psalmist declares, Will you not revive us again, O Lord, that your people may rejoice? There's not a soul here in this building that does not want to experience a spiritual awakening. That's why you come out to church. That's why you sit here in his pews. And that's why you read your Bible and you pray and you call upon his name. Because deep down inside you want a relationship with God that is so set on fire that it's unquenchable. So when we speak about personal revival, we're speaking about having a personal spiritual awakening. We're talking about a return to our first love. We're talking about a passion for God and a pursuit of His purpose. 
We're talking about what the Bible speaks about, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you want to have a personal revival and a spiritual awakening? That's not possible without discipline. And so, if you know your history, you'll know the story of a duke. His name was Reynold, Reynold III. He was the duke of what's known today as Belgium. <laughs> and Reynold had a younger brother called Edward. And they had this violent feud for many years until one day Reynold's younger brother captured him and imprisoned him. But here's the thing, when Edward incarcerated and captured Reynold, he built like a little room around him, which is two windows and one door. No burglars, easy escape. And he said to Reynold, you can leave here at any time and when you leave here, I will give you back your title and your property and your estate. Only one problem. Only one problem with this arrangement is that Reynold was grossly overweight and couldn't fit through the door or the windows. So what Edward would do was he'd feed him every day delicious food and luxuries and send it to him. And everybody would approach Edward and say, why are you being so cruel to your brother Reynold? And Edward's response will be the same each time. He would say, my brother is no prisoner. He can leave here when he wills. And so what happened that for 10 years, Reynold was not able to squeeze through the door. Ten years later, his brother died in battle and Reynold was finally able to leave the room. Except he died a few months later due to his health condition. And it was said of Reynold that he was a prisoner of his own appetite. He was enslaved by his own appetite. James 1 says to us, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has overcome, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. But each man is drawn aside and enticed by his own desires. And when his desires is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has matured, sin gives birth to death. Many times we rob ourselves short of what God has to offer us because of our appetites. I'm speaking metaphorically here. You can consult with Adam and Eve. It was appetite. You can consult with Esau who sold his birthright and blessing for a cup of soup. In fact, when Jesus was, was tempted in the wilderness, the enemy waited until the last day when he was at his weakest and came to him and said, turn these stones into bread. Let's see if you're the son of God. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've seen over the ages in church history how preachers' appetites have destroyed their ministries, have destroyed their homes. Children of God, not able to bridle the lusts of their heart. I mean, any media will inbox you on Facebook. 
And there you go like a fish on a hook. Didn't even put up a resistance. <laughs> appetite. We have to learn to bridle our appetite. Amen. Amen. I'm not getting any loud amens this morning. But you know the Eskimos have a hunting trick. You're probably familiar with this. When they're hunting for food and they're hunting for, for wolves to eat, they would take this razor-sharp knife. And you know, in that Arctic cold, you know, I think Dwayne is somewhere in Alaska, he'll give us some proper, <laughs> proper idea of how cold it gets in the Arctic. And they take this blade and they coat it with blood. They coat this razor-sharp knife with blood and it looks like a chupa, a proper chupa. Ice block, a lolly. You know, when you come from Marisburg, we call it an ice lolly. Only when you come to uh, Joburg, you must ask, what is a chupa? <laughs> that sounds like an insult. And so they, they take this razor-sharp knife that's coated with blood and they fix it in the ground. And the wolves have such a sharp scent of smell that even in the snow, they pick up the scent of their frozen blood. And the wolf finds the trap. And the wolf begins to lick the chupa. And the wolf licks and gets the taste of the blood. And because the wolf has probably been starved for days and hasn't had a meal, it starts to lick and lick and it begins to lick so vigorously that it doesn't realize and take notice that its naked tongue laps the razor-sharp ends of the blade. And so the thirst of the wolf is now being satiated by its own blood. And the wolf licks itself to death. And the wolf is consumed by its own desire. So many times I've seen people in such a mess and they have the audacity to blame God. God doesn't need to punish you for your sins. Your sins will punish you by themselves. The wages of sin is death. Sin has a payday. Sin pays out its wages. And so as Christians, we need to guard the lusts and the appetites of our hearts. How do we do this, preacher man? Grenville, if you were in the Bible study, you would have heard Grenville preach and teach from Galatians chapter 5. If you live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit also. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. For if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, goodness, long-suffering, patience, meekness, and self-control and discipline. And I can't believe I didn't notice this before. The fruit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control and discipline. So if you live a life sensitive to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict you of wrong. The Holy Spirit helps to promote self-discipline in your life and self-control in your life. What does it mean to have self-control and discipline? It means, according to Miriam Webster, to bring yourself under control. It means to impose an order upon yourself. It means an orderly and prescribe conduct and patterns of behavior. It means to impose some system of rules that govern your conduct and behavior. The Holy Spirit wants to help us bridle those affections and ungodly appetites. What we become and what we do for Christ is largely dependent by the measure of discipline we impose on our lives. Can I say that again? Who we become and what we become and what we do for Christ and what impact we make in this world is largely dependent by the measure of discipline we impose on ourselves. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives a crown? Run in such a way that you may obtain a crown, but not for an perishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who shadow boxes or beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, least after when I preach to others, I myself might become a castaway and disqualified. And I like the way the living Bible, the living paraphrase Bible puts this. It says, like an athlete, I punish my body, treating it roughly, training it to do what it should and not what it wants to do. Otherwise, I fear that after I enlisted others into the race, I myself might be declared unfit and ordered to stand aside. In other words, Paul saying, you know what? If I'm going to practice what I preach, I better preach what I practice. Yeah. Discipline is the bridge between what you're struggling with and your breakthrough and freedom. Discipline is the glue between God's vision for your life and God's dream for your life and the fulfillment of that vision. Discipline, like a motivational speaker said, is the architect of your success. Without discipline, you'll accomplish nothing. Discipline is the consistency of action. Discipline is the consistency of action. Discipline is consistency. Consistency is currency. We are what we repeatedly do. Consistency is key. And consistency will turn you from being average to being excellent. Someone once asked the question, how do we experience revival? What's the key to a spiritual awakening? It's simple. Momentum. Momentum is key for personal impact. Momentum is key for revival. No momentum, no revival. No awakening. If you take a train and you build maybe a wall in front of that train, heck, we'll let's even use the example of a car. You park your car in front, right against the wall of your house or garage, and you tramp that car, the accelerator, as flat as you can. And ask yourself this question, will you drive through the wall? No. Because to have an impact, you need momentum. That car coming from on top of Doreen <laughs> at, a, at a speed of 260 kilometers per hour may even break through a whole building if it has momentum. We don't see revival and we don't experience a spiritual awakening for the simple reason that we don't build momentum. We don't have consistency. Consistency is what creates momentum. You got that? Consistency is what creates momentum. Momentum in return creates impact and force. Probably one of the reasons why our prayers 
keep on bouncing off the ceilings. This is because we pray whenever we feel like praying. We have no momentum and consistency in our prayer life. Impact and power is generated by momentum. Momentum is gained by a series of consistent action. Revival is fueled by momentum, a series of actions. And so in Acts chapter 2, we have 3,000 souls come into the kingdom of God. 3,000 souls. And it doesn't stop with the experience. It doesn't stop with the Holy Spirit falling down and the speaking of tongues and, and prophecy. It doesn't stop with that experience as good and divine and impactful as it was. No. Bible tells us from what we just read is that those 3,000 souls continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in the breaking of bread, in fellowship, and they continued in prayer, and they continued uh, uh, gathering on a daily basis, uh, and sharing with one another, and praising God, and they had the simplicity of God. This was the culture. This was the commitment of the people. And so the first point I want to bring to your attention is that the culture of believers was a culture of commitment. Because the Bible says, they continued steadfastly. Acts 2, verse 42. They continued persistently, stubbornly, earnestly, unwaveringly, desirously. They were staunch in their commitment. And verse 46 says, they continued daily in one accord in the temple of God. They were a committed bunch of believers. Nothing happens without commitment. Without commitment, you have no depth in anything. Without commitment, there's no depth in your marriage. Without commitment, there's no depth in your relationship with God. Without commitment, there's no, there's no depth in your workplace. And I'm sure you know the story of, of the chicken and the pig. <coughs> One day the chicken and the pig were walking down the road and they passed the church and they saw the church's billboard. And the billboard sign read, help the poor please. And so the chicken said to the pig, hey, I've got an idea. Let's, let's help the poor. Let's make them a breakfast. You know, we'll make them bacon and eggs. And so the pig looked at the chicken and said, that's the most foolish idea I've ever had. It's all fair and well for you to say. But for you, you just make a contribution. For me, it's total commitment. <laughs> Don't Settle like a chicken. Don't just be willing to make a contribution. Be willing to commit to God. You all in or nothing. Amen. All in or nothing. You with me or you're against me, Jesus said. He who does not hate mother, father, daughter, kids cannot have part in my kingdom. Reminds me of I'm telling a lot of stories this morning. <laughs> Reminds me of Alexander the Great. That great conqueror. And the Bible says, oh, it said that he traveled with his army to an island. And the plan was to take over this island and defeat the soldiers and capture the city. And when he travels over there by boat, he turns to his men and, say, and says, Burn the ships. Burn the ships. <laughs> Burn the ships. One time, a soldier was brought before him. Apparently, the soldier was, was a coward in battle. Ran away. In the heat of the battle, ran like a chicken. So they captured this guy. They brought him before Alexander, and they usually expected him to, to kill all cowards. 
He despised cowards. And so he says to the young man, man and, and soldier, he says, what's your name? He says, Alexander. Alexander? I'm Alexander. He said, young man, you change your name or you change your character. You change your name or you change your character. Christians were only called Christians when they got to Antioch. Before Antioch, they were not known as Christians. They were known as believers. We were known as believers. That characterizes the kind of Christians we should be. We are characterized by faith. You know, this week with the repo rate going up and the petrol prices going up, the food prices going up, everything going up, I saw a bunch of believers get to Facebook. They said, oh Lord, it's not the time to buy. <laughs> oh Lord, don't buy now. This country is going to hell. And I'm like, oh man, such doom and gloom. <laughs> Have you not heard? That Isaac prospered in a time of famine? Yes. Do you believe that God can still bless you even when there's, when there's a total collapse of the economy? Yes. You know, wise investor looks forward to a depression. They make their money when the stock markets have collapsed. We are people of faith. Amen. Amen. And we are committed to his word. And we committed to him. Their commitment was expressed in their commitment to learning the scriptures. Because the Bible says they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and teachings. They were committed to reading the scriptures. They were committed to studying the scriptures. They were committed to applying and appropriating the scriptures. They were committed to meditating on the scriptures we will not have any revival or impact in this world apart from a meditation and a love for the word of God bottom line and ask again when was the last time you picked up and read the book of Acts I say this humbly I'm on my third reading I see my wife is jumping around on every Bible plan there on the app I'm saying, baby, you know what it means to meditate? <laughs> meditate means to linger on. You know, like when a, when a cow, because the cow doesn't have a proper digestive system, but it eats the grass, and it chews the grass, swallows the grass, it regurgitates the grass right out, uh, for lack of a better term, it vomits the grass out, it chews the grass back up again, and it does it until it has a palpable meal that goes down like, like baby cereal. And that's what you got to do with the Word of God. Don't jump, 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 yay, 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 yay. I'm, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Take the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. Once you've read the book of Acts, you read it again. When you're done reading the book of Acts twice, you find it more difficult to read, but you continue reading. And you read, and you read, and you read, and you'll find out with the constant dripping of water, you'll wear away the stone. Have you seen a river stone? How smooth that stone is? Forged by the water. Continual dripping, repetition. Repetition. You won't even have to apply your mind to memorize the scriptures. Just for the mere fact that you've read over it a hundred times, you can quote it effortlessly. This book of the Lord, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, God said to Joshua. But you shall meditate in it both day and night and observe to do according to all that is in it. Then you will have good success, and then you will make your way prosperous. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seats of the scornful, but his delight, 
is in the law of God and in his law he meditates both day and night observing to do all that is in it he shall be like a tree that's planted by the riverside whose leaf doesn't fail and who bears fruit in its season we got to meditate on the scriptures you're struggling with the habit you're struggling with sin how shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to the word of God and David declared, Lord, thy word of hid in my heart, that I may not sin against you. You're struggling because you're hungry. You're struggling because you're starving. And starving on the word of God. They were committed to the Bible study. They were committed to logging in on Thursday night via Zoom. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> They were committed to fellowship. They were accountable to the community of faith. Why is fellowship so important? Iron sharpens iron. We keep each other spiritually warm. Why is fellowship important? Because there's, there's power when, when we are in agreement. And there's powers in numbers. And Zuei quoted earlier, one puts a thousand to flight. Two ten thousand. We can do so much more together than alone. They were committed to the breaking of bread. Verse 42 and verse 46. This implies that every time they gathered together, they had communion and they broke bread and they remembered the sacrifice and the words of Jesus. And they kept his sacrifice central to their faith. They would always talk about what he did for them. Also, what this speaks of when they had communion is it speaks about the power of meals. You know, and I, I don't know who I was speaking to, but whatever God did for Israel in the Old Covenant, he created a feast. And there were seven feasts, and he celebrated every significant moment in the nation of Israel with the celebration of feast, overeating. When we come to the new covenant, it's, it's no different. Christ is about to be crucified, and he says, at the Last Supper, he says, this is my blood that was shed for you. Drink. This is my body that was broken for you. And they broke bread, and they had fellowship over a meal. Eating is such an under- estimated practice I mean just getting together as a family around the dinner table you know we, we, we underplay its its role and part in fellowship eating is such such an important factor that Paul says in Titus he says if you see a divisive brother someone who brings division don't even sit with and eat with him we got to get to their practice where when, we, when God does something for us, let's celebrate it over a meal. Let's sit together as a family and let's eat together. You know, like on those Tyler Perry movies, <laughs> those soul food suppers. When God does something for our family and your family, call a supper, call a lunch. You know, just waiting to be invited to Greenville and Sarisha's place in Sanson. So, you know, just celebrate what God is doing. Amen. They were committed to a life of prayer. They were committed to prayer. We don't get to see God divinely intervene for our life because we don't commit to the practice of prayer. Bottom line. Let me give you an idea of the culture of the church in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. They prayed in, cho in choosing a leader that would replace Judas. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After Peter and John were, were beaten and persecuted, they prayed for boldness. Acts chapter 6, verse 6. The disciples prayed together when they were selecting deacons to serve tables. Acts chapter 9, verse 40, the church was, quote, praying for signs and wonders. Acts 10, verse 3, Cornelius is praying when God comes in a vision and sends an angel. 
saying, call for Peter. Acts chapter 10, 11, Peter's praying on the, on the balcony top. And while he's praying, an angel comes and tells him, to, to, well, he has this vision of, of a sheet three times of unclean animals according to the, to the Jewish laws. And God says, eat, take, rise, eat. And, and Peter's response was, how can I eat what is unclean? I haven't touched an unclean thing my whole life. And God says, don't call that which is unclean what I've called clean. And he goes off to the house of Cornelius. Acts 12, verse 2, the church prays when Peter's in prison, prays for Peter to be released, and he's supernaturally released. Acts 13, the leaders pray before sending Paul and Barnabas into Antioch. Acts 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas are praying late in the midnight hour in prison and singing hymns. Acts 20, verse 36, the church is praying for the mission that they were sent out to. Acts 21, verse 5, the leaders are praying for Paul, pleading with him not to go into Jerusalem where he'll suffer persecution. Acts 28, verse 8, the church is found praying again for signs and wonders. This church was not a powerless church because this church was a praying church. If we're not praying, we're straying. Amen. This was the series of actions that built momentum for the early church. They were committed to the discipline of prayer. The other discipline that the church had in the book of Acts was that they were a giving people. You'll see that in verse 44 and verse 45 that they could not bear to see someone in need. They even sold their possessions to make sure that everybody had the basic necessities. We don't make a life by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Love finds its expression through giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love expresses itself in an open hand. Romans 8 verse 32. If God did not spare up his own son, how will he not freely with him give us all things? And if he is willing to give the one thing that was most important to him, the son who was in the bosom of the father, if he is willing to give up his son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? The Bible says in Ephesians that be ye imitators of God as dear children. So we imitate him and we refuse to be stingy Christians. Amen. Amen. I will not be a stingy Christian, I will be a river and not a swamp. Second to last, the discipline that the church had embraced was that they were a people, in verse 47, that praised God. They praised God. The praises of God was found on their lips. Praise is not silent. Praise is loud. Bible says in Psalm 100 and verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Let the praises of God be heard in your car while you're driving. Let the praises of God be heard in your home when the kids come back from school. Let the praises of God be heard in your home when you come to church let the praises of god be heard don't just stand here all starchy and stuff like a frozen popsicle like you the chosen frozen <laughs> lift up your hands like the evening sacrifice lift up your hands open your mouth wide and praise him because when the praises go up the blessings come down. One of the ways we do warfare as Christians is we praise. 
You don't always need to quote the scripture and fast and pray. Sometimes your blessing and your miracle comes through your praise. I'll never forget Derek Finn telling the story while ministering somewhere in Cape Town. He says, uh, Derek Finn is this uh, well-known, renowned evangelist from Durban. He's in Cape Town preaching and there's this little girl with, with cancer and she's in, in the front row and they're singing that song, God's not dead, he's alive, God's not. And as they sing the song, that girl began to vomit out all the cancer and she was healed. Your blessing may be in your praise. Don't hold back your praise. Another discipline, and it's the last one I'm going to share. Another discipline for revival is that the, the church in Acts, according to chapter 2 and verse 47, they had favor with all people. When the Bible uses the term all, it's referencing diversity of people. They had, they had favor with all kinds of people. It's good to have a reputation as a Christian of being honest, of being a good guy, or being friendly. It's just a horrible taste in the mouth when you find Christians that look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> Be nice. Be nice. You know they say it's it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. Can we just have some nice Christian? Imagine you met the most grumpiest, complaining, uh, irritating, a nar. You know, like the way he says, "I'm a nar marker." You, know? <laughs> you met someone that made you so nar, and then you found out, "Oh, this is the preacher. This is the pastor at rebirth." <laughs> For goodness sakes, can we just be nice people? You know, Bible says, and in as much as it is in our power, let's strive for peace amongst all men. Knowing that it's not possible to be friends with everyone, but at least for goodness sakes, have a general kind of reputation that, hey, that guy, ah, shut. That lady, ah, good lady. <laughs> you know, Yo, I mean, it's the way it deals with many uh, clients with the with the recruitment business and so there's this lady oh she's she's a first lady you know that's a, a western term you know, I don't believe in first ladies in the church you know is a first and a last lady <laughs> you're my first and last <laughs> okay and this lady oh you must see her statuses yo she's preaching whoa but she refuses to pay away her money refuses to pay her money. She, Zoe must beg. Then she makes stories. Ah, the kid is sick today. I'll make the transfer next week. But Zoe, but what does the kid sickness have to do with business? <laughs> business is business. But as a believer, as a Christian, can we just have a good reputation? Come on. <laughs> Don't leave your biblical manners in church on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Amen. A few things I want to say about spiritual disciplines is spiritual disciplines are activities, not attitudes. When we say we're praying for you, we're actually praying for you. It mustn't be like, ah, in my mind, I'm praying for you. <laughs> you know that? In my mind, no, I love you in my mind. No, 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 no. It's an action. It's an activity. It's tangible. It's practical. You know? Discipline is something you actually do. <laughs> it's something you do. It's something you're responsible for doing. It requires your action. It must be practiced. You know, there's an Italian proverb that says, between what's said and what's done, many pairs of shoes are worn out. Practice what you preach so you can preach what you practice. Discipline is your responsibility. We wonder why God doesn't show up, but we haven't applied the disciplines. Disciplines, lastly, I'm ending for real. Because I see the Sunday school bombarding through the doors there. Like the, yeah, what, the NYPD there. Disciplines are a means 
they're not the end. What does that mean? Just because you pray regularly, and this is where the Pharisees got this wrong, just because you read your Bible and meditate and can quote yards of, of scripture. You know, the other day I was so proud of myself. You didn't even, I don't think you realize that I quoted 55 passages of scripture by memory. And I got home and I said, Babe, did you hear that? <laughs> just like, ah. <laughs> Disciplines are not an end in himself. Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 that as disciplines lead to godliness. In other words, you don't take pride and joy in the disciplines themselves. And the Pharisees did that. Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees when they pray. They pray is long prayers to be heard. The disciplines are a means to becoming Christ-like. Amen. To becoming more and more like him. We are not godly because we practice these disciplines. No, no, no. We, you can even be a son of the devil and practice these disciplines. But these disciplines are a means and a way which invites Christ into our lives and hearts. And the last thing I want to say is this. That if you want God to invade your life, if you want a spiritual awakening, if you want revival, if you want to make an impact for God, you will and we will not do it apart from spiritual disciplines. It requires that we be consistent. It requires that we be committed. And when we have consistency and commitment, we build momentum. We build momentum. And when we build momentum, we build force and energy and power. And we make an impact. Amen. Consistency produces momentum. Momentum brings the revival. Can we stand? Amen.